All right, turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. It can be found on page 801 in the Pew Bible. Malachi 2, 1 through 9, page 801 in the Pew Bible. Malachi 2, verse 1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, And people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would give us wisdom and insight into your word, that we might know you better, nor that we might honor you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned last week that the leaders, that leaders often set the tone for those under their care. The direction of an organization, company, Business, school, nation, tribe, a household is affected for good or bad by the leadership that is in place. We don't have to look very far or look back very far or very long to see how this is true. And unfortunately, we've seen or heard of stories or personally been affected by leaders in a church who lost their passion and zeal for God, and it led the church into corruption and immorality in order, to, in order to please the world. Or we've known or heard of stories of leaders who were fake or continually acted hypocritically, hypocritical. Their lifestyle didn't match what they proclaimed to be true. And the sad reality, reality is that this affects not only believers in the church, But this affects unbelievers who observe it. We see a similar situation in in Malachi, in Israel, in Malachi's day. Because of this, God rebukes the leaders in Israel who are neglecting to live live out faithfully the call that God had given them and to teach his ways. This passage has relevance for leaders in a church and for those in ministry in a local church. It calls us to honor God in what we do in life and in ministry. And this has relevance not only for leaders, 
but for the church as a whole. This has relevance for, for everyone that's here this morning because it gives us a clear picture of what God expects of those who would lead the church and lead his people. So we see this. First, we see God's command to the leaders. So beginning in verses 1 and 2. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you did not lay it to heart. In light of the previous passage that we looked at last week, the, the priests were failing in their role to uphold the honor of God in worship. People were bringing defective, diseased, defiled offerings to be sacrificed on the altar. They were bringing their leftovers. We describe it as their leftovers to God. They weren't bringing what was first, and they weren't, certainly weren't bringing what was best. And the priest accepted these sacrifices, even though they were commanded not to do so. This revealed that they had no real appreciation for God. They were showing contempt for God and despising his name, and as a result, it affected the people. And it needed to stop. It would have been better to close the temple doors and, and stop the entire sacrificial system than have God's name be despised among the people. And so, because of the priest's role in maintaining this covenant relationship with God and the people, they now receive a command from God. Here, here's a word of, of warning. This is the continued application of this second dispute. You recall that the book is laid out based on disputes. This is the second dispute, and it was mentioned to us first in verse 6, where the question is asked, and this dispute is given, Where is my honor? Where is my fear, O priests, who despise my name? And so he's just continuing. He's just continuing with this dispute. And so the word of warning is a command to the priests who had ignored God's word and despised God's name. This command was for the leaders in Israel. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to honor my name, then I will send the curse upon you and I'll curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. So God instructs the leaders, listen, take it to heart to honor my name, to honor God's name. The, the priest showed no concern to listen to God or to set their heart on bringing glory to God. They were disobeying what was required of them. They were not honoring God in their actions or in their attitudes. And as a result, the covenant curses were already coming upon them and the people. If they failed to take it to heart, to resolve in their minds to honor God, and specifically in their worship and in their teaching, then the curses of the covenant would fall on them. And in fact, they already were. You recall under the old covenant... The covenant with Israel, with Moses at Mount Sinai, back in Exodus. And you can read about this in Exodus 19 through 24. You recall under the old covenant that there were covenant obligations to be met by the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 28 spells out the covenant blessings and curses. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, 15 and, and hear the parallel to our passage. Deuteronomy 28, 15 says this, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, 
or be careful to do all his commandments and statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then he provides a list of the curses, the covenant curses that God would send upon the people for their failure to obey God. They would suffer the loss of material blessings, the benefits of dwelling in the promised land as God's people. Everything that came to the priests through the covenant with Levi, their their role, their tasks, their benefits would all come under God's judgment. They would be cut off from the covenant. The priests, you recall this? The priests who pronounced the blessing to the people, Numbers 6, and Lord, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. This pronouncement of blessing by the Levitical priests upon the people now becomes a curse. Notice the seriousness of not taking to heart God's honor. Verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. God will rebuke or cut off their offspring, their descendants. And we read about this in the covenant curses in Deuteronomy 28. God's rebuke of the priests would leave them without descendants, without offspring. God's rebuke displays that he is completely opposed to their actions. He despises this careless dishonoring of his name by those in leadership. If you think you despise bad leadership more than God, look at what he says, right? All of us hate this, when we see this or have been affected by bad leadership. We see God's opposition graphically portrayed in what he will do to them. I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Instead of God's face shining upon them, dung is spread on their faces. The dung of their offerings. Dung, you know what dung is, right? Manure, feces, the waste of the sacrificial parts of the animals was going to be spread on the faces of the priests. I think we get the mental picture. It's a disturbing image. Their faces would be rubbed in dung. And the dung that is smeared on their faces, think about this, the dung that is smeared on their faces is the dung of what they had just offered up in a sacrifice to God. I say, do you accept my sacrifice, God? Here it is. And here's what he thinks of it. And they are going to be taken away with it. In these sacrifices that were made to God on the altar, according to, the Levitical, according to Leviticus, 
along with the head and the legs and the intestines, the dung was to be taken outside of the camp to be burned up. That's what they were supposed to do with it. In other words, those who are set apart for God, right? These priests, they're set apart for God. They're holy, consecrated to God in their service. They're serving God in worship and in these sacrifices. And they were teachers of the law. These leaders were now covered in dung and are to be carried off to the dung pile. That which was to be pure had become impure. They are taken outside the camp to experience the shame and dishonor with which they had just dishonored God in their offerings. So, this graphic picture of dung on one's face. I don't know if I ever thought I'd say dung this often in a sermon. This graphic picture of dung on one's face has a purpose. What's the purpose of it? It is a warning for those in ministry, for leaders, to return to honoring God and doing what he commands. That's the purpose. Notice verse 4. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. God sends this command, this word of warning to them for the purpose that his covenant with Levi might stand, that it might continue. One writer summarizes it like this. While the warning is real, God's ultimate intention is to restore the covenant with his priests so that his worship can one day spread throughout the whole world. I say this quite often. Warnings have a specific purpose. They're intended to be the means by which we are either led back to God or continue to follow God. They have a restorative, redemptive purpose. This warning is intended for them, right? They hear this graphic image. It's intended for them to repent and turn back to God. That they might listen, that they might obey, that they might set their heart on honoring God in their ministry, in their service, and that they might lead, then lead the people in righteousness and integrity. God wants them to change their attitude and actions. God warns them so the covenant might continue, but not in the way it was presently going. If they don't take it to heart to honor God, they will be condemned to the dung pile. This serves as a warning for leaders in a church and for those in ministry in general. Because our responsibilities and tasks that we've been given, right? Because of our impact and influence over those under our care. It's a warning to not play games with God, right? Maybe you aren't in ministry and you have no desire to go into ministry or be a leader in a church. And you're thinking, all right, this only applies to leaders. Here it is. It just applies to, to leaders in a church. So, so I, I, don't have to, I don't have to listen. The principle is still true. Don't say in your heart, 
He won't mind if I neglect his word or fail to honor him by not giving him first place. He, he doesn't care. He's a God of love. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if I'm careless and casual in my worship. Don't play games with God. Ask yourself, ask yourself this question. Do I have a concern for God's word? Or do I ignore it and just go through the motions of Christianity? Right? Outwardly, 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 these priests look like they were doing their job. But they're just going through the motions. Ask yourself, have I truly resolved in my heart to do what honors God? Right? We might have the content right. We might even have the content right. But if the honor is for me, we need to still heed the warning. The honor, our heart should be set on the honor of God and not any person, not ourselves and not anyone else. Have I truly resolved in my heart to do what honors God? Second, second point is this. We see here God's job description for the leaders. Notice verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. So now we, we again, we're introduced to this covenant with Levi. The priests are now reminded of the purpose and expectation of the covenant with, that was mentioned back in verse 4. When you look back at the Old Testament, there doesn't seem to be any passage that explicitly describes a covenant with Jacob's son, Levi. It's possible that this is describing then a relationship that God had with the priests, with the tribe of Levi as a whole. More specifically, there was a covenant made with Phineas, the priest, who is a descendant of Levi and through Aaron. This is what we read in Numbers 25, 10 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of, of lasting priesthood, a perpetual priesthood, because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So Phineas, in his zeal, you recall in the story, Phineas had stopped the plague of God that came upon the Israelites for their sexual immorality. In his zeal, he honored the Lord and his actions atoned for the sins of the people. So God rewarded his actions by making a covenant of peace with him and his descendants. Right? So the Levitical line, Levitical priests, life and peace, what we see here, as well as life and peace, they summarize the covenant blessings that God would give to his people. 
God's intention with the covenant with the Levitical priest was the fullness of life and the blessings that would, of peace that he would graciously give them. This covenant blessing would be extended to Israel through their priestly ministry. The covenant resulted in life and peace, and it was a covenant of fear or reverence. The text here highlights how the faithful priest responded with fear, and he stood in awe of God's name. The action and attitude of the priest was to be one of reverence and awe, and it resulting in a relationship in which the blessings of life and peace would be mediated to the people through their service, through their ministry. In verses 6 and 7, we, we see one aspect of the priestly service. This isn't one that we typically think of when we think of uh, the priestly duties. But this one, is the emphasis here is on the teachers, on them being teachers or instructors of God's word to the people. That's not one that we typically think of, is it? It's an application of what it looks like for the priest to honor God in ministry. So he stood in awe of my name. Now what, did he, what does he do? What's that look like to stand in awe of God's name? In a sense, this becomes a job description for Christian leaders. Though the pastors or elders or teachers in a church aren't priests in the same way as those in the Old Covenant, there's a sense in which we can apply this to the leaders in a church. So we get here, in a sense, a job description. Because in the New Testament, what's required of the elders is very similar to what we see here. So here's what we are called to do as spiritual leaders. This is what you should expect, right? So if you never want to be a spiritual leader, this is what you should expect from those in ministry. Verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. So number one, the leader is to know the truth. Here's what you should expect from Christian leaders. They know the truth. True instruction was in his mouth. The, the role and duty of the priest was to be an instructor, a teacher of God's word for the people. Leviticus 10.11 says this, You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. This was true instruction. That which was accurate and correct and biblical. It was in his mouth. Leaders must not only know the truth, right? We know the truth, but they must be ready to communicate that truth, which implies that they are so devoted to the truth, they seek to gain insight into God's word so they might rightly apply it and explain it. The application for leaders in ministry is that they spend a great deal of their time studying God's word so they know and teach that truth. We see this example in Ezra. Ezra 7.10, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, of the Lord, and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Number two, leaders, a Christian leader is to practice the truth, right? So he knows the truth, he practices, he puts it into practice, he lives by God's word. That's what's being communicated here with, he walked with me in peace and uprightness. To walk with God implies a close, personal, intimate relationship 
with God in which we seek to obey Him. An effective leader who upholds God's honor lives by God's word. He walks in integrity and obedience. He puts into practice what he proclaims. Number three, the spiritual leader turns many from sin. Turns many from sin. We see this at the end of verse six, and he turned many from iniquity. The words and actions of the priests, as they carried out their duties, should have an impact on the people. And it should have brought them back to God. And this is what we're called to do as pastors. We are called to turn people away from sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Sound instruction in God's word and faithfully living by God's word is intended to turn people away from sin and to Jesus and back to God. Number four, they guard knowledge and are sought out for instruction. Christian leaders guard knowledge and are sought out for instruction. Verse 7, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. To guard means to preserve, to keep, to watch over. Spiritual leaders in a church are to preserve knowledge and be sought out for instruction because they've been commissioned by God for this ministry. To honor God in ministry then, leaders should teach God's word and live out what they proclaim. Right teaching and right living are the things we should devote to if we want to honor God in life and in ministry. This is what the priests in Malachi's day were failing to do. That's what we see in our final point. We see here God's response to unfaithful leaders. Verses 8 and 9. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The priests were failing to live out God's word. Their teaching was leading people astray. They were doing the exact opposite of what they were commanded and required to do. Instead of turning people away from sin, they're leading people into sin. They are preventing people from obeying God. Wrong teaching resulted in improper living. As a result, what was intended to bring life and peace, graciously given by God, became violated. They had broken the agreement that God had established with Levi. They had broken the covenant with God. And God warns them that he will make them despised and abased before all the people. This is a, this is a public judgment. right? We already saw in verse 3 this public judgment. of, And now it's continuing. Those who had despised God's name in their worship and ministry would become despised before the people. They displayed their lack of honor for God by not keeping his ways and by showing partiality in their instruction. They were more concerned about pleasing the people than doing what God commanded. And so they're warned of a public judgment before all people. As they show contempt for God, 
that will become the way they will be treated. Shame, contempt, and humiliation would come upon those leaders who continue to despise and humiliate God's name. So what do we learn from this? How do we further apply this to our lives? I mentioned the first point, the seriousness of taking to heart to honor God in what we do. The honor of God and the word of God should be the highest priority for leaders in a church. Christian leaders must set their heart to honor God. Christian leaders must devote to teaching and living out God's word. Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And then he says this, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and the hearers. Remarkable. In light of our passage in Malachi, what you should look for in leaders of a church is a commitment to God's honor and glory and a devotion to God's word to proclaim it and to live it out. What you should pray for and hold us accountable to is that we would continue to commit to God's word and God's honor and not give in to the temptation of careless, casual Christianity that waters down the gospel and allows the world to set the standard in churches. This passage applies to all of us. According to 1 Peter 2, the church is a royal priesthood. In order that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Therefore, all of us, everyone in this room, should be committed to proclaiming and living out their Christian witness to those around them. And not just go through the motions of religion, but have a personal, intimate walk with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And lastly, we recognize that we all fail to honor God the way he deserves to be honored. When we study this, at least when I studied it, we become convicted, we should be convicted that there are times, perhaps too many times, when we don't stand in awe of God. There are seasons in life in which we feel spiritually indifferent to God and just go through the motions of life. So we need to be reminded this morning of the one who is greater than Levi, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who instructed in God's word. It was in his mouth when he was tempted and he walked with God in peace and integrity and uprightness. 
and he turned many from iniquity by living a perfect life all the way to his sacrificial death on the cross. And as a result, as a result, he suffered outside the camp in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. We have a great high priest who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Draw near to God through Jesus Christ. Come to him and find forgiveness at the cross. And then set your heart to honor him in all that you say and do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do recognize the times in which we fail and fall short in our covenant relationship with you. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins. We ask that in this moment, in the days ahead, that our hearts and minds would be set on your honor. That our face would seek you, your glory. That we'd commit ourselves to your word so that we might live by it. Would you do that for us? Would you enable us to, to be a light to the nations? Would you enable us to proclaim your greatness and worth as we seek to be set apart in our actions and our service to you? In Jesus' name, amen.